Father God, I pray that this moment, as we listen to your words, God, that we would respond. God, I pray that your word today would, would move in us. It would, it would evoke emotions in us, feelings in us, that we would be overwhelmed by who you are. Overwhelmed by who we are and our situation and that you have rescued us. God, move through your word, Holy Spirit. Convict us, transform us, move us. God, may we not be unmoved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning we're coming back to the story, the narrative of Jonah. And if you remember, that's not the words of a prophet, but it's the story about a prophet. And if you guys remember from chapter 2, Jonah has been swallowed up. He's been running from God. And God has been pursuing him throughout chapter 1. But at this point in chapter 2, he's constrained in the belly of a giant fish. He is facing his own imminent death. Jonah has exhausted all options. He's got no more moves. No more moves to make. He is literally facing his death. So, my question for us this morning, my question for you, has and is Jonah finally getting what he deserves? He's constrained, he's, he's in the side of a fish, he is facing death, he's on the edge of death, no more options, nothing to do. He's about to pass. Has he gotten what he deserves? What do you guys think? Okay, we're going we're gonna to do interpretation by vote. If you think that Jonah deserves this fate to die inside the fish, raise your hand. If you think that Jonah deserves not to die inside this fish, that shouldn't be his fate, raise your hand. Some of you are really harsh, and some of you are really compassionate. What about your neighbor? What do they deserve? What about those people? Whoever those people are for you, what do they deserve? Those people deserve what? And probably most importantly for you to answer is what do you deserve? To die. <laughs> Salvation to die. Salvation. Deserve. Oh, deserve. Thank you. Oh, we're talking about this word deserve, right? 
Because Melanie knows she's, she's an approximation to my household and she has witnessed my parenting and she knows that in my house when my kids complain, this isn't fair, this isn't right. I was thinking about this this morning and laughing about Alvaro, our foreign exchange student from Spain that lived with us for a year, and he would say, this is not just, this is not just. Whenever there was anything that he didn't want to do that we were enforcing, this is not just. And he, like my kids, began to realize Anytime they would say that, my response is, oh, you want fair. You want what you deserve. Do you want what you deserve? Just tell me now, before we talk about this, if you want what you deserve. Because what do you deserve? I deserve death. I deserve an eternity in hell, Dad, Papi. So do you want to keep talking about this? Do you want what you deserve? No. But then they got smart. But can I have mercy? That's what I want us to see today. I believe that's what the author wants us to not just understand, but that's what the author wants us to feel as we walk through this prayer from Jonah. It is poetry. It is meant to evoke emotions. It's meant to, for us to feel and to feel that. And I want us to feel that I, we, Jonah, deserve death but God we deserve death but God but God gives us mercy okay so I just told you the whole sermon okay I just, I just gave you the, the punchline but I want us to walk through that and I want us to feel that as we read God's word as we listen to these words and as we take in these words Coming back to the story. I don't want us to misread the story, to misunderstand how the story goes. Because as we approach this, we approach with a very human-centered perspective. Not a God-centered perspective. Human-centered, from my perspective, not from the perspective of God. And I want us to have a God perspective. Jonah is running from God in sin. He is running from God. His life is spiraling down, down, down as we read through the story. Further and further and further. As I began, and I don't want you to be mistaken, Jonah is not, Jonah is not the hero. Jonah is the fool. We should have empathy for Jonah. And some of you had more empathy for Jonah than others. Okay? We should have empathy for him, but I don't want there to be confusion. Jonah, like us, deserves to be swallowed up. He deserves to be exiled. He deserves death. He is getting what he deserves. But God. But God. 
But God rescues him and God restores him. Those should be our two most favorite words ever put together. But God. If we understood this correctly, basically you could communicate it in two words. But God. That's the gospel. But God. And that's what's being communicated here. But God rescues Jonah. And so I want us to read and Welcome to Living Stones. The PowerPoint won't load. Okay? But oh, it loads now? Oh. Karina fixed it. Okay, rewind that. At Living Stones, everything is always right on point. Everything goes just as planned. All right, so we're going to read Jonah 2, 5 through 6 to begin with, okay? The first part where we left off of this prayer. But as you read this, as we read it out loud, remember that this is very detailed, very um, composed, thoughtfully composed Hebrew poetry. It is meant to bring the story to life. It is meant to move our emotions. It's meant to result in a feeling. Okay? It's poetry. And I want us to approach it that way. It's meant to lift up and to glorify the hero. So let me read chapter 2, verse 5 through 6. I'll read in English and then Grace in Spanish. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Versículo 5 del capítulo 2. Las aguas me llegaban hasta el cuello. Lo profundo del océano me envolvía. Las algas se me enredaban en la cabeza, arrastrándome a los cimientos de las montañas. Me tragó la tierra y para siempre sus cerrojos se cerraron tras de mí. Pero tú, Señor, Dios mío, me rescataste de la fosa. Mercy is simply not getting what you deserve. And this prayer illustrates God's severe mercy. Severe mercy. And remember the purpose of Jonah is to see ourselves in Jonah and to understand more about God's character through this story. And we need to see ourselves not as we wish to see ourselves or as we hope to see ourselves, but we need to see ourselves accurately as God's Word describes us and embrace that reality that we deserve death and we are helpless to do anything about it. But God, and only God, can rescue us. Rescue us. 
the author's purpose is not to give us a prayer to dissect and to analyze in an effort that we can mimic Jonah's prayer. Okay, that's not the point and that's not how I'm going to approach it as we walk through it. It's to be moved. It's to share Jonah's perspective that we might share in Jonah's response to God's severe mercy. Okay? We want to share in his perspective and we want to share in his response. Okay? This is not a prayer that you're going to pray in a situation. This is to move you so that you can pray. So that you can share this perspective and you can share in his response. So first, it moves us. His severe mercy moves us towards this godly perspective. In Jonah 2, verse 7, it says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. His life was ebbing away. These are Jonah's last moments of life. He, he literally is fainting and fading out. He's like a candle that's starting to flicker and just slowly starts to go out. His life is ebbing away, giving to death. And at that moment where there's nothing left except for him to die, that's when it says that he remembered the Lord. At that point, at the very edge of death, I remembered you, Lord. Everything was taken away from me. I had no further options. And at that moment, right before it was over, I remembered you. When your life is over, you begin to consider what's important. The approaching of death brings perspective. I remember my grandfather getting the words being here, we had just moved to California, we had been here six months, and I got the call that he was going to pass. Okay? This was my grandfather, this was my hero, he was the best man in my wedding, okay? It was not a normal relationship, like, no, I stopped everything, I don't care that I've been in this job for four months and I might lose my job, I don't care that it's going to cost us to fly across the country and bring all of my children with me, we're stopping everything right now in this moment because death is approaching and I know what's important and I am going to get on a plane and we're going to fly overnight and from the airport they're going to pick me up and I'm going to go to his bedside and I'm going to be there with him when he passes. I knew what was important. Because death was approaching. Everything came into perspective. But we find it difficult to have that perspective in our day-to-day -day regular life. We don't have that perspective. We don't remember the Lord. We don't remember Him regularly because we can't forget ourselves. We're so focused on ourselves. We're so focused on my life, on this moment, on everything that's happening right now. I don't take the time to actually get the perspective and remember the Lord.
And so you may be asking, Así que tal vez usted se está preguntando, so you want me to think about entonces, death? Yo en la you want me to consider death? Yes. Sí. I think God wants us to Dios consider that. It's something es algo that all of us will experience. Que todos vamos a, vamos a vivir, vamos a I'm resist, punto. resist my urge to quote Braveheart right now, okay? <laughs> But for those of you who know it, you can hear it right now, and I'm not going to say it. All right? It's just a moment between us. But if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we should already have an experience with death. It's not just that this physical death is coming, but if we are following Jesus Christ, then we should have already had an experience of death. A reset of our perspective, a reset of our priorities, because we approached and came to the point of death as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.3 says, For you, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We've been born again. We have new life. To be born again, to have a new life, there has to be a death. We have to experience that death to have new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And so yes, I want you to think about death. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are dead to the old self and you have this new life in Christ. Thirteen years ago today, I was on West Adams Street at a McDonald's in Chicago right by the brown line and in that place at that table I witnessed the death of the old Larry Bailey that old Larry Bailey that I had known for a few years to that point he died right there in front of me He's like, I'm done. I want the old Larry to die. And I want this new life, this new Larry that's going to move forward. And I watched that happen before my eyes. And I've been witnessing him continue to live and continue to consider death and continue to move forward as the new Larry, as the Spirit of Jesus lives in him for 13 years. And if you know Larry, then you've heard many times about the old Larry, especially in situations that are difficult, the new Larry says, well, the old Larry would have done this. Right? I know what the old Larry would have done. But this is the new Larry. Right? The old Larry has died. This is the new Larry who's living now the Spirit of God in him. And the old Larry wants to come back to life over and over and over. And Larry has to continue to put him to death. 
as he continues to trust God. And you listen to him, and you listen to his past, and you listen to what he has gone through and what God has rescued him from, and that is a day-to-day-to-day-to-day experience. Day-to-day, day-by-day, he has to put the old Larry to death. He consistently and regularly engages with death. And it gives him perspective. And I would say it gives him a perspective of joy that I have not witnessed over an extended period of time that anyone I've ever known. And Larry gets discouraged and Larry gets down, but overall, Larry is the most joyful person I know. We have to come to the point of death. We have to come to the end of ourselves. Because that's where we remember God. I need rescue. And then we see that God has rescued us. And God is continuing to rescue us. But if I don't need God, if I'm not... I don't deserve death. If I'm not at the point of death, then I don't need anyone to rescue me. If I don't have that perspective, then I don't see the severe mercy of God and how He's rescued me. And that's not a one-time experience. That's what it means to follow Christ and to continue with the Lord again and again and again. We cannot lose that perspective. And so do we do that regularly? As individuals, when you come before the Lord and when you spend time in His Word, you come face to face with death. When we gather as a body, right, do we come face to face with death? Because we have to start with that death so that we can celebrate the life. Does that make sense? We can't just move to and just celebrate. Like we have to go back and say, no, this is what we deserve. But this is what God has done again and again and again. We have to start there and finish here. We can't just stay here or this begins not to really mean much because we don't have it in a godly perspective. And our primary issue is not what we confess, it's not what we believe about God's severe mercy. But our primary issue is our regular response to prioritize our own lives, to prioritize ourselves. We regularly cling to this life like this life means everything. But God's severe mercy should move us beyond that. It would move us to respond with sacrifice and respond with, as we sacrifice, a praise, right? What we talked about this morning, praising God. That we would praise as we sacrifice God. Look at Jonah 2.8. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love or God's mercy for them. What is he talking about here? And essentially that if we 
cling to anything else in life, we are turning away from God's love, away from God's mercy for us. If I cling to this other thing and I'm holding on to it and it is so important to me and it is my priority, it requires that I turn my back on God who has rescued me and wants to continue to rescue me and who is there for me. But no, I'm clinging to this, God, because this is my life and this is so important. I'm clinging to this thing. But in doing that, God's Word says you're turning your back on God, on His love, on His mercy. Jonah continued to turn his back on God and His love and His mercy. He continued and continued and continued. Holding on to anything else in our lives, whether it is good or whether it is bad, means that we cannot hold on to Jesus. You can only hold on, you can only cling to one thing. One thing. You can't cling on to multiple multiple things, multiple people, multiple relationships. But one. Because what you cling to is on the throne of your life. And it will rule you and it will turn you away from God. As Mark talked last week, if you're going to cling to this fear, it will turn you away from the love and mercy of God. If you are going to cling to a relationship, it's going to turn you away from the love and mercy of God. If you're going to cling to some identity that you have, it will turn you away from the love and mercy of God. If you cling to a possession that you have, it will turn you away from the love and mercy of God. If you cling to your status, your accomplishment, if you cling to some form of security other than God, it will turn you away from the love and mercy of God. And so what is it in your life, what is it in my life that I am clinging to or that I tend to cling to that becomes the priority in my life and displaces the rightful owner, Jesus Christ, my King, my Lord. What in your life are you so focused on saving that you've turned your back on Jesus and His love, His rescue? Continuing in verse 9. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. These are Jonah's words. And these are Jonah's words when the situation in his life has not changed. Jonah is still there. His life is ebbing away. He's constrained. He has no moves left. He is about to die in the belly of a giant fish and he speaks these words. 
Then he says, with shouts of grateful praise, the life I have, I sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation or rescue comes from the Lord. He's experienced God's severe mercy. He has a new, transformed perspective. And so his response as he faces death is shouts of praise and a commitment to sacrifice, to give of himself and do what I say. Do what I say. I'll be under your rule. At this point, he's ready to follow faithfully. Because he knows the only option of rescue, the only option for salvation is from the Lord. It's the same for us. It's the same for us as followers of Jesus Christ. It's the same for us on this side of the cross. Jesus says in Luke 9, verse 23 through 24, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, dying to themselves, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. We have to come to that perspective where we are desperate for rescue and all I have is you, God, and so I'm ready to let go of my life. I will let go of my life so I can find true, eternal, lasting life with you. I have to experience this death so I can experience eternally this new life. To be crucified daily, again and again, to be put to death, to come and face death. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We have been crucified, put to death with Christ. It is not us who lives, it's not about our lives, it's about Him who lives in us. The old Brit is dead. And now my life is in Jesus Christ. It has to be a regular part of our life. Death. Oh, Britt, come on. You're, you're just, what's that called when you overstate something? You're just, come on. You're, help me with the word? Exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. God is not exaggerating. He wants us, the author wants us to read this and to feel that. And that our perspective would change and our emotions would well up and we'd be like, oh my goodness, I deserve death, but God has rescued me. God, here is my life. I will follow you as I vowed to follow you. It is a privilege. It is a pleasure to serve you and to sacrifice for you because my life is over and now I have this new life. We have to believe that. We have to respond to that. God's severe mercy is for us. He's rescued us. Salvation comes 
from the Lord. He's the only one to save us. He's the only one to rescue us. We deserve death. But God has rescued us. So what I want us to do to finish, and I know that We've taken communion a lot lately. But we're going to take communion again today. Because as I study this passage, I want us, when we come together through our worship, through our preaching, through communion, to face death. I want us to come to this table, to the table of Jesus Christ, and face His death that He died for us. That He, with God's severe mercy, sacrificing His Son, rescued us. We need to come face to face with that again and again, as often as we gather, right? Repeatedly. And I want to do that through the Lord's table, that we would come to His body broken for us, the death that that represents, that we would come to His blood spilled for us, the death that that represents. We would admit repeatedly, again and again, each time that we do that, that we deserve the death that He died. But He has rescued us so we get to live the life that He has promised us, that He has given us eternal life that starts and it continues now. will reach its fulfillment and its completion. But we have this new life now. And so let's face death together and let's experience and remember the Lord, our Rescuer. Nuestro rescatador.